Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hey guys, so I am going to be talking today about the link between sugar and mental health, specifically anxiety, depression, mood swings, but also other mood disorders. And I'm feeling a little, I guess, serious about this topic because I think it is very serious. And I think we are at a really critical place where we need to take mental health more seriously. And I, I want to obviously state that I am not a mental health professional. Um, I do feel very strongly that there is an incredibly strong link between nutrition and mental health that many people have ignored. And I do believe that a big part of the reason we are in such a state of crisis with mental health is because we don't give a damn about what we put in our bodies. And that has absolute consequences on our brain and our mental stability. Um, But I am not a mental health professional. And I just want to say, because I was deeply depressed when I was very much heavier, and I understand how dark that can be and how scary that can be. And before we get into how nutrition has a role in mental health and what we can do about it, I want to just say that things can get better and things will get better. And sometimes it's really hard to see that, but I just want to encourage anybody who is feeling like there isn't hope that please, please, it is safe to reach out to somebody, even if that somebody is me, and I will do everything my my power to help you or help you connect with somebody who can help you uh, in a more professional setting, um, in a more clinical setting. So let me just get on a soapbox for a second, and I apologize if sort of the tone of this podcast is a little bit more somber, but I really think that it's a it's a pretty serious, serious topic. Most of you who are listening to this show do so from the United States, and um, I live in the United States and feel that we have, as I said, a mental health crisis in this country, and it's it is damaging every person in some way. Even if we are not ourselves depressed, we are not immune from the actions of others who struggle with mental health issues. And to me, I personally, Elizabeth Benton, have a role in this because primal potential is not just about fat loss, right? Nutrition is not just about fat loss. It's not just about vanity. It's not just about feeling like you look good naked. And my personal commitment is not to exclusively help people, you know, reach their fat loss goals and have a healthier relationship with food, though I love that and that's valid and important and significant, but we are out of our minds if we think that nutrition and fitness are not a major part of the equation in mental health because they are. And I feel very strongly that as we improve our health, 
We feel better about ourselves. And I see this in the world. I've seen this in myself. I see this in my clients. As we fuel our bodies more responsibly, we improve our mental health. We change not just ourselves, but we change our households. We raise happier, healthier, more balanced children, and we've got to take that really seriously. It's not just about looking good naked. It is about so much more. And this is not just my opinion. This is science. And today we're going to talk about some of that science and link sugar to anxiety, depression, and mental health in general. And again, I just want to say... I get how serious this is because at many points in my in my childhood, in my young adult life and my adult life, I struggled here. I really really struggled here and I do believe that whether you are 50 pounds overweight or 100 pounds overweight or you are struggling with food obsession or binging or eating disorders, there is a mental health component, period. I really feel that way, and I also feel very strongly that nutrition can help. Is it the only solution? No. Is it a massively significant one? Yes. Do we underestimate it? We sure damn do, right? Quality food can help. And if you're listening right now, and you're like me a few years back, and you're crying in your car or whatever, we can make a change here. We can make a difference here. And I've been there. And I genuinely want to help and I genuinely believe that food is a big part of that help. Now, we're going to be talking specifically about sugar. And I want to be clear that when we're talking about sugar, we're talking about carbohydrates because carbohydrates are made up of sugar, right? But let me get this out of the way for the 500th time. Carbs aren't evil. Carbohydrates are not bad. Food is food. It's not good. It's not bad. It's what you make it. You can screw your fat loss goals with protein. You can screw your fat loss goals with fat. You can screw your fat loss goals with carbs, right? With sugar, with alcohol, with whatever. But carbohydrates have a massively significant impact on your brain and your hormones, more so than fat and protein, right? Sugar can do far more damage to your brain than any other food, okay? And there are also a lot of misconceptions about carbs, so we have to spend more time talking about them and we have to be more strategic about the types of carbs and the quantity of carbs. And this is true whether we're working towards fat loss or we're working towards a healthier, more balanced relationship with food or we're talking about mental health, right? Carbohydrates and sugar, because sugar is the building block of carbs, have a serious impact on mood. Anybody struggling with anxiety or depression or mood swings could really benefit from understanding the impact of sugar and from minimizing sugar. Now, I am not suggesting that this is a cure-all. I am not suggesting that at all. And I understand that many people do need um, treatment options that are more along the lines of conventional medicine, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we cannot deny that sugar has a major, major role. And countries in the world with the highest intake of sugar also have the highest rates of depression. There is no coincidence. There is a massive impact between mood, anxiety, and depression and sugar. Before we dive into those specifics, I want to do a little bit of a review on carbohydrates because I understand that people, you know, jump in and listen to the podcast at all different points and I want to make sure we're all starting at the same starting point. So sugar is not just sugar the way many people think about it. We're not just talking about... Um, you know, Kool-Aid and candy bars, right? Because so many people will say, oh, I don't really eat sugar, but they're eating multiple servings of fruit and potato and quinoa and pasta and granola bars. That's sugar, 
because the building block of carbohydrates is sugar. Now, that's not to say that it's wrong to eat fruit or wrong to eat potatoes, but we do need to acknowledge that the building block of those things is sugar. So let's not pretend that it's not, because it is, okay? Carbohydrates are chains of sugar. Some of them are big branched complex chains, and some of them are tiny, small, simple linear chains, and then there's everything in between. There's a broad spectrum of how much sugar is in a carbohydrate, the form of sugar, right? The total quantity of sugar that makes up the carbohydrate, and then the type of sugar that makes up the carbohydrate, because there are lots of different types of sugar, and then the structure of the chain, whether it's big and huge and branched, or big and huge and one long chain, or short and branched, or short and linear, or somewhere in the middle, all of those things determine how quickly and how significantly the carbohydrate in question elevates our blood sugar, right? And then also what we eat alongside the carbohydrates. So if we're just having the carb by itself or if we're pairing it with fat or pairing it with fat and protein, those also have an impact on how quickly and how significantly the carbohydrate in question elevates our blood sugar. The more we raise our blood sugar, the more insulin we secrete from the pancreas, okay? Insulin is a storage hormone that acts as an usher to take the sugar from your blood and deliver it throughout the body, either to be used immediately for energy or to be stored, right? More blood sugar, more insulin. This is a dose-dependent kind of relationship. The higher we spike our blood sugar, the more insulin that responds to be the usher, right? And since insulin is an anabolic hormone, a storage hormone, When insulin is high or elevated, we don't burn fat because fat burning is a catabolic process or a breakdown process, and you cannot be in an anabolic state and a catabolic state at the same time. Insulin tells your body, hey, we have plenty of fuel in the pipeline. We're trying to find a place to put it. Don't you go break down anymore. So fat burning happens when there's a fuel shortage and insulin tells the body that there is fuel excess. So these two things do not happen at the same time. So that's the impact on fat burning potential. And I said all that just to make sure that we're all kind of coming at this from the same baseline, the same starting point. But the fat burning impact is only one reason that we need to be careful with sugar. Sugar has a significant impact on our brain right? There are absolute clinically proven addictive qualities to sugar that we just don't see with protein or with fat. We see it with sugar almost exclusively, right? This impact that sugar has on the brain impacts mood, depression, anxiety, attention, focus, right? All carbohydrate foods, all carbohydrate foods get broken down into their simplest parts. What's their simplest part? Those building blocks, sugar, also referred to as glucose, right? And your brain really loves glucose. It uses it up. So when you have lots of peaks and valleys in your blood sugar, meaning you eat something that raises your blood sugar and then what goes up must come down so you crash and then another peak and another crash and another peak and another crash. The more uneven your blood sugar, the more uneven your mood, right? So if you are somebody who either feels like you're really up and really good and really great or you're really down and really low, this might be an indication that the that the sugar is having a significant impact on your brain because you do not have the blood sugar stability you need for mood stability, okay? Now, when you consume sugar, 
And again, I'm not talking exclusively about candy and cookies. I'm talking about carbs in general, whether that's cereal or oats or whatever. When you consume sugar, you activate certain cellular receptors on your sweet taste buds. So we have lots and lots of different kinds of taste buds in our mouth, but some of them are specific for sweet things. And these receptors on our taste buds, they basically signal your brain and they activate certain regions of your brain when you introduce sweet things to your mouth. As soon as it hits your tongue, your brain is going, ooh, sweet, we know what this is. And specifically, sweet things activate the pleasure or reward center of your brain. This does not happen the same way with fat or protein. So this triggering of the nucleus accumbens or the reward or pleasure center of your brain happens with sugar. It does not happen this way with fat and protein. What else activates this reward center of the brain? Alcohol, cocaine, stimulants, right? So this is what makes sugar uniquely addictive. This is the primary reason that sugar has addictive qualities for most people. This reward center in your brain lights up and makes you want more. And I think of this, and this is so juvenile, but as scientifically minded as I am, I like to use analogies because they make things easier for me to understand and easier for my clients to understand. But I think of this, and I've said this before on the podcast, as the little sugar monster in your head. This nucleus accumbens that lights up when you introduce sugar, even into your mouth, right? It lights up. And this sugar monster, the more you feed it, the more it grows. The more it demands, the louder and more powerful it gets. So then what? So then you want more sugar, so you eat more sugar, so the sugar monster grows. And then you experience more peaks and valleys in your blood sugar, which you can experience as mood instability. Now, the flip side of that is the less you feed the sugar monster, You take away his power, right? The smaller and the weaker he gets, the less frequently you hear from him. So that's the strategy that I personally often use and I work with many of my clients on. When you experience sugar cravings, you have an option. You can feed the sugar monster and make him stronger and louder, or you cannot, right? And you can reduce his power and the frequency of his demands because whatever path you take, that path gets easier. So be mindful of whatever you're making easier and habitual, right? Saying yes to the cravings or saying no, not right now. Whatever you choose, that becomes easier to do again and again. So let's talk a little bit more about this activation of that pleasure center in your brain that happens when we consume sugar. That activation causes the release of several neurotransmitters, one of which is dopamine, right? And this makes you want more and more and triggers more hunger and more cravings. And in the episode on carb tolerance, I talk about how different people have different sensitivities to carbs based on their sensitivity to insulin, right? People who are highly sensitive to carbs, right, who react to carbs, who are more likely to crave them, who have trouble stopping, who feel a physical response when they introduce carbs like a like that addictive sensation, right? They tend to have a heightened connection, a stronger connection between carbs and insulin and serotonin, another neurotransmitter that's a part of this process. And it's more than that, actually. This connection in people who, like me, are sensitive to carbs, right? I'm insulin resistant and carb sensitive. Those kind of two things go hand in hand. We kind of have a broken connection between carbs and insulin and serotonin. It's malfunctioned right? 
serotonin rises with carb consumption and that should trigger feelings of fullness. But the problem is when we overexpose ourselves to sugar, we become a little bit immune to that. And so that part's kind of left off and serotonin doesn't go up that much. We don't have the satiety signals, those feelings of fullness that we're supposed to have. We've kind of muted that reaction and it's kind of like If you're a big drinker, a big alcohol drinker, you need more and more alcohol to get the same sensation, to get that same buzz. This is the same idea. You don't have the satiety. You don't get that feel-good feeling on as little. So you need more and more for that calming effect, that feel-good factor from carbs or sugar. And you need more to get that satiety. But the problem is, so you eat more, but then it's always around. So you become less sensitive, less responsive to it. It is a very vicious cycle. You can break out of it, but the longer you stay in it, the worse it gets. The more sugar you want, the more sugar you crave, the more sugar you eat, the less responsive you come, you become. And it's a real trap door. Now, the other thing about serotonin is that it's, It is very much connected to mood and to depression. It is a primary influencer of mood and emotion. So in people who regularly consume sugar, they're not producing as much serotonin. Their body is just not as responsive to it, right? And and this this feel-good effect that we're supposed to get when we consume carbs when we we miss out on it, when we overconsume them because the body just stops being as responsive to it, serotonin is super important. We want to be highly sensitive to serotonin. We do not want to be resistant to serotonin, but the problem is we build this resistance when we chronically consume sugar. And guess what? Most Americans do. Most Americans do. We crave sugar when we are depressed or down, we crave sugar in cold weather or in darkness because our body is screaming for the production of serotonin, right? That's why lots of people crave crave carbs and crave sugars and, and eat more in the colder months or at night. But the problem is that we develop this resistance because we're constantly consuming the sugar and so we don't get the mood balancing impact of serotonin that we need because we've we've screwed it up. We've screwed it up by over consuming this and overproducing it and becoming really resistant, okay? Now let's change gears here and talk about another factor that's very significant related to the relationship between mood instability and sugar. Sugar causes inflammation. Now, this inflammation is systemic. We tend to think about it in a vascular sense or in a joint health sense, but let me tell you something. This inflammation happens in your brain. Remember a few minutes ago, I said that the brain loves glucose, the brain loves sugar. Well, when we overconsume sugar, sugar is pro-inflammatory. It causes inflammation in the body. Well, what really loves sugar? The brain. So we cause inflammation in the brain. This isn't like, just some theory I have. This is this is true. Overconsumption of sugar, chronic consumption of sugar, chronic consumption of carbohydrates causes inflammation in your brain. Now, this kind of goes without saying, but for the sake of clarity, let me be really clear and state that inflammation in your brain is a bad thing. And this is also dose dependent. More sugar, more inflammation. Welcome to my real life with the dog that is barking. And I apologize for that background noise, but real life here, real life folks. Anyway, Some researchers go so far as to call depression metabolic syndrome type 2, 
right? Traditionally, metabolic syndrome is about obesity and um, abdominal fat accumulation and um, some heart disease risk factors, right? That's typical metabolic syndrome. But some researchers are calling depression metabolic syndrome type 2 because with the traditional metabolic syndrome, we'll call it type 1, you have systemic inflammation and a fat belly, And they're calling it metabolic uh, syndrome type 2 in in depression because you have this inflammation in your brain. You basically have a fat brain. Your brain has too much sugar and too much inflammation. And the result is depression, right? Eating too much sugar causes your body to release inflammatory cytokines and they cause inflammation everywhere. And inflammation in your brain is a cornerstone of both depression and lots of mood disorders and mental illnesses. So much so, and I love stuff like this. Well, I mean, I don't love that this is the case, but I love that it proves this point. Many doctors are treating depression with drugs like Actos, What is Actos? Actos is a drug used to treat diabetes, to help your body be more sensitive to the hormone insulin. Why? Because they need to reduce that swelling in the brain and that swelling comes from sugar, from lack of control of blood sugar and overconsumption of carbohydrates and sugar. Can your brain function optimally and transmit the signals that it needs when inflamed? No, it cannot. The result? Low energy, lack of focus, lack of attention, depression, anxiety, and a whole host of neurological disorders. And beyond that, we've talked about this before. I think we talked about this specifically in the alcohol episode, but the process of carbohydrate metabolism, when we talk about sugar, we're talking about carbs, right? The process of carbohydrate metabolism is very dependent on B vitamins, B as in boy, right? Alcohol metabolism uses up B vitamins at a very rapid rate. That's why we talked about it in the alcohol episode, right? But carbohydrate metabolism in general uses B vitamins up. So we tend to be B vitamin deficient when we have a high carb diet if we aren't very careful, right? Well, what does that have to do with mental health and mood? Yeah, B vitamins are required for energy, but B vitamins also have a very significant impact on mood regulation. So when you're eating lots of carbs, you're setting yourself up for B vitamin deficiency, which then makes you less able to regulate and modulate your moods. Now, if we back up to my favorite thing, which is kind of the common sense perspective, The more sugar you eat, the more fluctuations you have in your blood sugar. Those peaks and valleys that we experience in blood sugar are so directly correlated to mood swings. And I see this all the time with my clients. One of the first positive benefits that I tend to see with my clients is that they say, my focus is so much better. My attention is so much better. I'm not getting as stressed out as easily or as emotional in the evening time. That is because of the more stable, steady control of blood sugar and the very measurable impact it has on mood. That is powerful. And it's really, it's more than just powerful. It's critical if you are someone who struggles with mood swings or anxiety or depression. Now, getting a little bit back to sort of more of the nitty-gritty science stuff, another significant factor in the relationship between sugar and depression and other mood disorders is that sugar suppresses the activity of a particular hormone, hormones are the key here, called BDNF. BDNF stands for brain-derived neurotrophic factor, okay? 
So sugar suppresses the activity of this hormone, BDNF. And when we look at individuals with depression, with schizophrenia, with all sorts of mood disorders, BDNF levels are critically low. Well, why are they critically low? Sugar. When we raise those levels of BDNF, by decreasing sugar in part, we see a significant resolution or improvement in the symptoms of those mood disorders. Another nutrient I wanted to point out specifically in addition to the B vitamins that's related to sugar metabolism is chromium. Chromium is a mineral, and when we consume sugar, it increases our rate of chromium excretion, okay? Now, chromium is required for insulin to do its job. Insulin cannot function properly without chromium and therefore blood sugar stays elevated for longer. And we know that this sugar increases inflammation, including in the brain. And when we look at depression, we tend to see that those individuals are deficient in chromium. Sugar increases excretion of chromium and many doctors treat patients for depression with chromium supplements, prescription uh, prescription or over-the-counter. Why? Because just like they're using Actos, it improves the metabolism of sugar and helps clear it from the system. But you can do that by eating less sugar. Eating less sugar. I know it's mind-boggling, right? So let's kind of talk practical implementation here for a few minutes. And I could go on and on about the science, and maybe it really deserves another couple of episodes looking specifically uh, maybe with kids or, or specific conditions. From a practical implementation standpoint, does it mean you need to go totally sugar-free? No. Remember that this is a spectrum. Might that be the answer for you? Sure, it could be, and that's okay. It's not sustainable for most people, and I'm all about the sustainable long-term approach. But just move down the, the continuum of improvement. Start to cut back on the sugar. Move towards whole foods. Find whole foods that you really love. Practice the golden rules of carbs and fat loss because, and I will link to them in the show notes over at primalpotential.com, the golden rules of carbs and fat loss are all about stabilizing blood sugar for fat burning, but really we've seen here that stabilizing blood sugar is a huge part of mood regulation and anxiety and depression. So follow those golden rules of carbs and fat loss related to avoiding carbs in the morning, saving them towards the end of the day, choosing quality carbs and watching the quantity of carbs and pairing your carbohydrates with things that are going to slow down their digestion and therefore minimize the impact on blood sugar like fat and or protein. Work to slowly reduce your intake of processed foods. They tend to be very high in sugar. It doesn't mean you need to go cold turkey, but work towards a gradual decrease and let your body indicate what is working and what is helpful. And then when you experience cravings, let that be a red flag for you. Remind yourself that that is the sugar monster. If you respond, like we tend to have this notion, I'll get emails saying, oh my gosh, I have crazy sugar cravings. What should I eat? How about nothing? How about the fact that the sugar is letting you know that that sugar monster, that nucleus accumbens is way too used to sugar. No mas, no more. Say no. You do not have to have something sweet every time you have a sugar craving. In fact, the fact that you are having cravings should be a warning sign to you that maybe you need to dial it back a little bit, focus on sustaining your blood sugar and keeping it more steady by focusing on fat and protein and fiber from veggies so that you don't experience the cravings to begin with. A craving is not an emergency and sometimes the very best response is no response at all. And then make sure you're getting enough B vitamins and chromium. And realize, 
From a societal standpoint, this is a responsibility we all have to ourselves. If you are a parent, you need to be modulating your child's intake of sugar as seriously as you are your own. This is not about, oh, my kid doesn't have a weight problem. That's great. That's fine. This isn't about weight. This is about happiness and health and brain health. You can trigger inflammation in your child's brain with the chronic consumption of sugar. They don't need it. You don't need it. Nobody needs it. And we have to get healthier. We do not have to get healthier just so we can look better naked. I don't know about you. I want to look better naked. So that's always a fringe benefit. But this is about feeling better about ourselves, being happier, being more balanced, not having these wild mood swings, not suffering from depression. And nutrition has a huge role in that Eat quality foods, feed your family quality foods, and realize that this is a mental health issue. This is a serious crisis in healthcare in the country, and we have to address it responsibly, whether the goal is fat loss or not. This is about focus, attention, mood, and then long-term health. Long-term health is the, I mean, we we tend to overlook that because we focus on the vanity, and that's fine. I'm all about vanity. I want to look good naked as much as the next girl, but We have to take this seriously. And honestly, don't be afraid to ask for help. If it's a food thing, ask me for help. I want to help. You guys know I respond to everything. You are not in this alone. I understand the tremendous mental health impact of being overweight. But even for those of you who are listening and you are not overweight, There is always somebody who can and will help you. And I might not be the right person to help you, but damn it, I will help you find who is because this is serious stuff, guys. This is serious stuff. So please get help if you need help nutritionally or from a a mood mindset, mental health standpoint. Let's lighten things up with what I ate yesterday, which seems completely insignificant in the scheme of this conversation, but what the hell, let's just do it. So um, yesterday, before my workout for quote unquote breakfast, I had coffee with MCT oil, a couple tablespoons of MCT oil. Uh, After my workout, I had two eggs, two slices of bacon, about a half a cup of purple potato that I sauteed in the leftover bacon fat, and then I had a couple of cups of cabbage. Um, later in the day, I had some Greek yogurt, hormone-free, because that's the way I like it. And then dinner was chicken thighs with caramelized peppers and onions and an entire avocado. I love avocado. I think it's amazing, and I love it when I put salt on it. Oh my gosh, have to have more avocado. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you will share it if it is helpful. Um, and just let me know. Let me know how I can help you. I really, really, really want to help you. So keep me posted on how I can do that. I'll talk to you guys soon. We'll be back in a couple of days. Bye-bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.